Exodus from last week, chapter 2. Before I start, I want to issue a challenge because you all know the story of Exodus 2. I know that, well, I'm sh pretty sure most of you know it. So I'm going to issue you with a challenge first. I want you to see how many times you can see a parallel or the same of Moses' life and Jesus. You know how we're taught that the Old Testament always points to Jesus? Well, I was amazed how I found eight. Now, you're n to do this, you're going to have to listen to me. <laughs> so that's one way of getting you to listen to me. But it was really good finding just... And it was just as I... I haven't had much time to prepare this week. But as I did it, pondered on it for the week, all these different things kept coming out. And it was amazing. So see how many you can find, and it'd be good. You might find different ones to me. But where did we leave the Israelites? In Egypt, in a terrible plight, didn't they? Weren't they? They were at the stage, I think, they, the, the Pharaoh had set out to say, first he said, well, we'll make them slaves. He was frightened his kingdom was going to be taken over million of them by this stage so we'll make slaves of them when they kept reproducing he said right double the labor half the material this is going to make it harder that didn't work more babies right okay you midwives kill them off as they're born and midwives made it. I think you had all this last week, didn't you? Yeah. Midwives made excuses. Right, final straw. All baby boys will be killed at birth. Anyone who finds them, get rid of them. So that's where the Israelites are. And I thought, I wonder, remember, they have now been in Egypt 400 years. I wonder if they remembered that Abraham had said, God had told Abraham that they, were his people, would be in captivity for 400 years. I wonder how many of them remembered that. I was thinking of us and our generation. You look now at how many are Christians in Australia today how many of those small children now know nothing about God? They're not told about him in schools anymore or anything. Would the Israelites after 400 years have been like this or not? I'm sure whatever, I mean, yes, they still, I think, were living longer. I'm not positive on that one. I haven't got Andrew here to give me a nod or a shake every time I if I make a mistake, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rochelle, you'll have to do it instead. <laughs> um, but did they still remember? And I know a portion of them did. I know some must have. So we come to Exodus chapter 2. And God always keeps his promises before I start chapter 2. I've got a question for you. You might want to answer the first part of it. 
put up your hand if you think in your life God has ever broken a promise to you. I thought I'd get none. I don't know if you're game or not. Put up your hand if you believe in your life he has always kept his promises. Okay, I've got a few that didn't put up a hand. I'll say there's a hmm, maybe, maybe not. I want to tell you about a time, and this has nothing to do with Exodus, but that's okay. I've got to fill in time. <laughs> no. no, seriously, there was a time in my life, a really bad time, and in that bad time, I believed God gave me a promise. I'd been crying out to him, and I opened the Bible... And I read this, and it just, you know how sometimes the word just jumps at you? It jumped at me, and I read it, and I thought, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. It's okay. Time went on. Everything, in my eyes, was not fine. It was not good. Now, I didn't really know how I was feeling, except that, oh, well, I did know how I was feeling. I was as miserable as anything. I couldn't stop crying. But at that time, I was, saw a counsellor and he said something to me that broke it and I realised how angry I was with God. I was furious with him. It all just came out in this massive flood. How angry I was that he broke his promise to me. Even thinking back, it brings tears, but... As I thought about that, now the counsellor didn't say anything else that I thought was of any help, but <laughs> of course I thought about that and I came to realise, and it took a long time, that I read what was in the word. It was not a set out promise that God has in his word. God has so many promises in his word but what I had taken as his promise to me was not I had read this as I'd wanted to read it as I'd wanted to receive it and yes I could see later on how God had filled that promise taking it in the way he was meaning it but I had got it all mixed up in me and so in that period, even though I didn't know I was so angry with him, I was. But believe me, if you ever feel God has broken a promise, talk to him about it. And I reckon there's got to be more than me, one, more than just one person in the world that believes God had broken that promise. Talk to him about it. See where you've made the mistake. Because God cannot break his promises if he does he's not god it's as simple as that he can't break his promises and here are the israelites in egypt 400 years has he broken his promise well he said these descendants would be like the stars in the sky we've got a million descendants so far haven't we and they're keeping on reproducing and reproducing. Do you know, by the time Moses led them out, there was two million of them. That's pretty amazing. God can't break a promise. And I want to go on with Exodus from that spot. 
I can work this. Can I have a slide if it doesn't work? Or do I have to turn it on? That would be helpful. Really helpful. Now it's working. Let's have a look at the birth of Moses. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she couldn't hide him any longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Now just to give you a little help in my thinking of how you do the challenge, tribe of Levi, they became the tribe of priests, didn't they? So just have you thinking that way. That's, that's just one of my first answer to the challenge. I'm not telling anymore, I'll just go on with the thing. She became pregnant and gave birth to a child. She saw he was a fine child. Now I stopped here when I saw that he was a fine child and I got out I don't know how many transcripts. What did they mean by a fine child? To every mother the child's fine. It's precious, it's beautiful. It's better than anyone else's child. You can see some mum's kids and you think they look ugly, but to mum it's the most beautiful baby in the world. You know, they're all fine. But the Bible said one, one translation said fine, one said healthy, one said beautiful. And I kept looking and finally I found a, a little spot in Hebrews that said he was a fine child in the eyes of God. Now, that was different, but I did wonder, now where did you get that from? But the words got inspired, so <laughs> they did more looking up than I did. But a fine child, and she hid him for three months. That's a woman of faith. All I can remember in the first three months was my son yelling and yelling and yelling cried non-stop night day i think i must have been a very tense mother he didn't stop crying i couldn't have hit him i mean i'm sure some of you have had that experience you just and i mean even sally tells me little theodore is so good and doesn't cry but i bet he has his moments when he has a good yell i think this levite woman and her husband they were women, they were people of God. They'd come from the tribe of Levi, the, the tribe that would be priests of the Most High God. And they hid this little baby for three months. I had all sorts of pictures. I had them with a muslin gauze over his, over his mouth so he couldn't be heard and hid in a cupboard. And it's amazing what you think of when you're walking a dog and preparing a sermon. But... <laughs> So when she could hide him no longer, she gets a papyrus basket. Now, again, an interesting thing that has got nothing to do with Jesus this time. Papyrus, I found out, was for some reason mentioned four times in the Bible. One of the two times was in, May, in the ark. Now, the ark, certainly, Noah's ark wasn't made of papyrus. But this little boat, this little basket that mum made, they used the same word as for the ark. Another, there was just another interesting fact. 
And this, this little basket, it had a lid on it and everything. What a brave mum to put a baby in the Nile with crocs. There are crocodiles in the Nile. There may not have been crocodiles just there. I mean, people did come down to bays or maybe they took the risk. But what a brave mother. She was really putting her baby in the care of God in the water. Where are we? There we is. There she is, putting him in the water. So then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the banks of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Can you imagine his big sister? She would love this little boy, three months old, and in the, in the river in a basket. She's standing there wondering, what will happen to my brother? Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Another thing I thought of here is the Pharaoh's daughter, princess of Egypt, there's a law out by her dad, kill the baby boys, kill the baby. This is her dad, the Pharaoh, and she's going to kill the baby. No way, she has compassion. Women, do you realise in all of this story so far, it was the women that thwarted Pharaoh. The midwives told him, no way, we can't get to the women quick enough. Moses' mum hides the baby. Now the Pharaoh's daughter is rescuing the baby. How good is God? He's just using each one of these people in a little baby's life to do what he needs to do, to do what God wants. He's just doing it all in these catastrophic events that are not catastrophic at all. So Miriam goes and says, well, can I go and get someone to nurse the baby for you? She's a quick thinker, that girl. <laughs> It's not quite, quite as easy to read. Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby, nurse him for me, and I will pay you. Now, how good's God? Give the baby back to mum. I'll pay you for looking after him. <laughs> it's just amazing when you see what God did. The, the baby goes back to mum. She gets paid. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the gr child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. 
Now, there's a lot we don't hear for the next little bit about Moses. It's like he's gone from being a three-month-old baby to a 40-year-old man. There's this big gap in between. That's a hint. <laughs> and I was thinking about this and I thought, I read it, I wanted to know how long it took them before the baby would be weaned. And I read that in those days, sometimes it was up to nine years old. And I thought, okay, this seems a little bit of a stretch. Who wants to feed a baby till it's nine years old? But then let's take it back a little bit to seven years old. What's that quote that says, take a child until it's seven and it will always be yours? In that seven years, let's say, Moses' mum and dad had that child to bring him up to love God, to bring him up in that Hebrew religion, to bring him up to know God. In all that time, to train the child in God's ways. As it said, Moses would not forget that. He would remember, it was ingrained into him who God was who he was and I just think that again is such a move of God for the mum to have that child that long so now the training continues he goes into Pharaoh's household again this is a gift of God Moses has to be trained for the job God has for him he learns to read and write. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. Couldn't do that if he couldn't read and write. Just got to look at my list here of all the things he did. He learns as a prince. Remember, he's a prince of Egypt. He learns leadership skills. This man has to lead out of Egypt two million people. I find leading six people difficult. Two million is going to be a lot of dissent, a lot of argument, a lot of discussion. He had to learn leadership skills. Organisational skills, he had to have them. Judicial skills, can you remember later on that he holds court out in the desert and he has to judge all the disputes. He needed to learn judicial schools. Military training. He had to have military training. They had to fight to get the promised land. He, in those years, those 40 years, well, 37 years, 33 years, he got all the training he would need to lead the people. Now, at this stage, I wondered, would, did Moses know God had a special job for him or not? It certainly doesn't say in the Bible that he did, except that Hebrews brings, it up, uh, brings something up, which I'll refer to in a little while. But Moses... I don't know how he would know it unless God spoke to him, but nothing is recorded. 
but he's having all this training. But of course, he's also having all the training of the Egyptian heritage. He has everything he wants. He's in a royal household, good food, good clothes. He has authority. He basically can do what he wants, I would think, as long as he doesn't disobey Pharaoh. So he's living in two worlds, just as we do. This is what we are supposed to be doing, living in two worlds, in the kingdom of God and in the world. And it's not easy. I bet all of you, are, is it easy living in the world, living as we do today, living in the world? No, no. And I don't reckon it would have been for, for Moses either. And I had to wonder, would he get teased at school? I bet he looked that little bit different. He would have had the Israelite heritage of looks. The Egyptians would have looked different. He would have been painted up like the Egyptians. But as a kid, I bet he looked different. And so we go on. He's trained. He's 40 years old. So one day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at the hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Now let's go back to this beginning. Moses is out and about. Don't know whether he's on his camel or walking. And he's watching the Hebrews, the slaves, sees an Egyptian hitting one of the slaves. He then makes a choice. I don't know if he thought about, here I am making a choice or not, but he's making the biggest choice of his life. No, don't want that bit yet. He's making a big choice. Am I going to be on the Hebrew side? Am I going to be on the Egyptian side? Who do I relate to? Who am I? I don't know if he makes that decision or just when he sees the Hebrew being beaten, just does it. But he knows he's doing wrong because otherwise why is he looking around to see if anyone can see what he's doing, what he's done? He hides him in the sand. He knows he has done wrong. we just go back a little bit. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Don't want that one yet. Moses, 
as now realise what he's done. Why is he frightened? Life was cheap there. I'm sure Egyptians quite often killed slaves all the time. Big deal. What is the big deal here? I think somehow he realised that Pharaoh, if he has sided with the Hebrews, he's been raised as a prince, this man could take over the country he had enough people he knows Pharaoh will be after him another thing I read was in Hebrews it said that um, and I don't quite know again how they got this but they said that Moses knew that he was to deliver his people now that's in Hebrews and I don't know if you want to look it up I think I might have written it somewhere here in Acts 7 23 to 25 it said Moses jumped ahead of God basically and thought he would deliver the people this way now I don't know because in Exodus 2 it doesn't mention it but it does speak about it in Acts but imagine Moses now he's in trouble big trouble Pharaoh will want him dead everybody knows what he's done he's wrecked it utterly he's failed it even if he did know that God had that plan for him to deliver the people as far as he'd be concerned he's wrecked it he's just done his dash how many of us do our dash through life think well, God can't use me anymore. I'm on the, you know, in the garbage. What can he do about this one? I have really wrecked everything. I've made such a mess of my life. What can God do? Does he just say, well, you've done it now, goodbye. I'll find someone else. The only time he says, I'll find someone else is when you say, no, I don't want to do what you want me to do. Then he'll find someone else, but not because you're a failure. Not because you've mucked up everything. He doesn't do that. Failure is not the opposite of success. It is a part of success. I want to bring in a little story here. I didn't know if I'd bring it in or not, but I will. I was in Gippsland last week. As many of you know, my nephew died and I just went off for a walk with the dog, just to go for a walk down by the creek. And I'm walking the, my little dog. She's only little, size of a large rat. Anyway, yeah, she's not, to my eyes, she's not pretty, but I love her. Anyway, I'm walking the dog and I saw this plank across the creek. Very little water in the creek. You couldn't drown, but it was not a large plank and I thought oh we'll go across here to the other side so I just walk across the plank and I look back and the dog's not moving and I called her come on come on Ruby come on nope not going and then she wanders off back up the creek and you can see she's looking for an easier way across the creek and I looked at her and I thought it just came to me isn't it like this me with God he says come on and I thought, oh, isn't there an easier way to do this? 
felt. Then I thought, well, she's not going to come. So I went back across the plank and called her to me and she came and I gave her a pat. And then I said, I just walked a little bit up my plank and I said, come on, you can do it. Encouraged her and watched her and she came a little bit further and I walked a bit further over the plank. Come on. And she came a bit further, right on my heels and I turned around to walk over the rest. The next thing I know, she's over the plank in front of me. And I thought, isn't that like God? He comes back, encourages and says, come on, you can do it, come on. Follows us, he lets us follow him. He doesn't always pick us up. He doesn't always, we like that, that thing, footsteps in the sand, where it says he carries us, but he doesn't always. He encourages us and says, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Just lead us on, just follow me, just, just follow, you can do it. The next thing you know, you're across that plank. And just to me at that time, that was a real picture of God saying, you can do it. There's never failure. It's just another step in life. Where are we with Moses again? He reckons he's done it. So when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered the flock. Moses has run to the desert. And I was thinking, how did he know where to go? And I thought, well, again, I bet he went on camel rides. He's an Egyptian prince. I bet he knew a lot of the desert. Why, he must have realised that, okay, Egyptians aren't going to chase me here. He goes into the desert and I thought, the desert. Where's he going to take the two million people later? The desert. God has taken up his training again. God didn't give up on him. He took him to the desert to keep training him. So he goes and he sits down by the well and he sees these girls getting water for the camels. A really heavy job, I imagine. And then the men come along and say, get out of here, you women. Do yours later. Now, I don't really know if they said that, but the Moses says, no. No, there he is. No, he looks a bit aggressive. <laughs> he says, no, I'll, I'll, I'm watering these camels. And he waters the camels. Again, a big job for one man. So when the girls returned to their dad, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. See, he still obviously looked like an Egyptian. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter, Zipporah, to Moses in marriage. 
Zephora gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Now the interesting thing in these verses is rule means, means, got to find it, friend of God. God again has gone before him, brought him into a house who believes in God. And I, th I looked it up to find out about Midian and all because he was a Midian priest and from what I knew of the Midianites, they worshipped many gods. But I think this came later. The Midianites originally came from, um, came from the line of Abraham but not from the line of Isaac and Jacob. So from the beginning the Midianites knew about God. So this man whom later we find Moses had great respect for because he took advice from him, knew God. And I was thinking in that, because here again in, um, in the desert he's there another 40 years. And in that 40 years he probably talked with his father-in-law a lot. And I wondered, it's all just conjecture, would father-in-law, much as he'd learnt about God as a small child, would he have talked with his dad and his, his knowledge and his faith would have grown in that 40 years as he built on the child's knowledge and faith to become a man's knowledge? He needed to get Egypt out of his life, to get the world out of his life and become the man in this new land to become who God wanted him to be. He always felt he didn't belong there. He said, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. Maybe at this stage he didn't know where his home was to be. But God, right at the beginning, had promised Abraham that they would become a mighty nation, that they would have land. This was the promise all the way through. And so I believe that Moses and, and his father-in-law would have discussed this. And in the meantime, God's training him in the desert. He's got to lead them through the desert. Probably learned how to find water and all sorts of things in the desert. He wouldn't learn as a prince of Egypt. But that whole story... God never broke a promise and he didn't give up on Moses. And that's what I want us to really take in today. God will never, ever give up on you. No matter how you muck it up, if you're wanting to follow him, he'll make it good. He'll direct you. Just take little baby steps and he'll honour them. Our God, as we said in that song before, he loves us so, so, so much. He'll never break that promise to you. He'll lead you. I believe that I've had a dream for about 20 years and I believe that God is now beginning to lead me into it. Now, I had, I'd nearly given up on that, but it looks like this is opening up for me. God, his timing is perfect. They had to wait 400 years. Moses had to wait 
80 years before God actually started using you. Doesn't matter how old you are, you can start an adventure at 95, I reckon. Yep, you can do it. Just little baby steps. If he, well, God wants you to do it, he'll open the way and direct your path. Let's pray. Father, we just give ourselves to you afresh. We ask you to lead us and guide us. Open our understanding to see where we've got you. We're thinking of you not as who you are, but in our own imagination. You're not the God that can do anything. Reveal yourself to us, Lord, I pray, that we would be in your hands, have the adventures you want us to have, and to go forward living in your world, not in the world of the Prince of Darkness, living as foreigners in a foreign land, but princes of the kingdom of God. I just thank you, Father, for all that you do for us, with your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I went to a youth group very briefly um, when I left high school up in Melbourne. And uh, their mascot was an 80-year-old.